Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. special episode this week on discussing the experience of and then the healing of birth trauma. As we know far too well, women across the globe are routinely victimized by normalized obstetrical violence and left traumatized from the many ways in which they and their babies were harmed in the system. I am joined today by Diana, who experienced the unnecessary yet systemic cascade of interventions in her home birth transfer, resulting in both a surgical birth she knew she didn't need and soaked in trauma with a deep fear of ever having a second child. Surprised by an unplanned pregnancy, Diana faced her trauma, took her healing into her own hands, and birthed in power. If the way you were treated in your birth experience has left you feeling traumatized, this episode is for you. We are here for you. We see you. You are not alone. And you are certainly not broken. My first birth was a totally shattering experience. Um, I was a person who came to my first birth um, really trusting birth, really not afraid of the experience. I really, um, I understood that, um, you know, our, our culture, we tend to look at birth as a, a means to an end to have a baby. And it's expected to be, you know, challenging, have some degree of trauma or suffering to it. But I never really felt that. I always kind of knew from the beginning that birth in and of itself is an amazing experience that I really wanted to have. So that's how I approached my first birth. And um, I, to make a long story short, I had a planned home birth with a midwife and we um, ended up transferring after a very long labor. And unlike you, I didn't untransfer myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what proceeded to happen at the hospital was just a nightmare of interventions that were completely unnecessary. Um, my water was broken. I was given an epidural. I was given Pitocin and I wasn't given the opportunity to to consent to anything that happened to me at all. I mean, I signed a paper, but that's not what consent is at all. You understand? Yeah. Um, and it was just the perfect cascade of interventions that led into a emergency C-section to save the baby who was having um, heart decelerations due to the Pitocin. And I wasn't even told this actually during the process, but I figured it out later from looking at our medical records that that's um, what had happened. Um, the surgery itself was really traumatic, really scary. Um, I ended up losing consciousness at the end of the surgery. And I don't know if it's because I I lost a lot of blood or if it's because of they over-medicated me or something. So uh, I get teary just just thinking about this. I don't even remember the first time that I held my son. I just, that time was totally stolen from me. And, you know, it was five and a half years ago. I still can't really talk about it with feeling emotional. Um, Everything about our postpartum was hard. Everything. Mm. Breastfeeding was so hard. (laughs) Um, My body was like remembered the trauma of this experience. And it didn't really want to produce milk. It didn't really want to heal. Um, And I was spiritually really shattered. You know, like I said to you at the beginning, I understood how important birth was. I don't know where I got that knowing, you know, I was born in a very conventional way in a hospital. I had very, a pretty conventional upbringing, but I understood how important birth was as a rite of passage. And I felt like, what happened? Like, mm-hmm. how, how could I, how could I come to birth knowing this and then let this happen to me? How did it even happen? I was just shattered, totally shattered. So that's my, that's the story of my first son's birth. Um, and I think you know, my, where I'd like to go with this is sort of talk about, 
birth trauma as a whole and how I healed from it. Um, so yeah, do you, do, do you have any questions about that experience? Yeah, I have, I have two questions. So just to take it right there, would you say that today, five plus years later, would you say that you feel complete and healed and whole? Is that, is that real? That that is something that you can feel and be after, after that experience? That's a great question. I can say that the part of the trauma that made me feel that I was not whole and that I, I was broken and that this essential function that my body was supposed to do couldn't do for some reason, that piece of it is definitely healed. Um, and that simply, well, you know, I, I, I went on to have a very beautiful healing second birth and that went a very, very, very long way in healing that part of the trauma. Um, what I feel mostly now is just sad when I think about it. I feel really sad. I would say that I'm pretty healed, as healed as you can be from something yeah. that shapes you that deeply. And now I'm just left with sadness, both for myself and for my son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think but that's... It's not a, I think go it's ahead. A, yeah, just a good point that feeling whole again and feeling like there are pieces that because you've dissected them and accepted them and, you know, did something different next time and, you know, all, all of the different things that have led you to feel healed and there can still and probably always will be a great deal of sadness of the reality of what did happen. And so healing mm -hmm. doesn't equate erasing or forgetting or, um, pretending like it didn't happen. It's actually this deep and painful embracing of looking at it and turning it over and, and, and letting it really integrate and then seeing what you can do about it and how you can accept it. And that doesn't mean love it. That doesn't mean reframe it. Yeah. Right. And we're going to get so yep. deep into this with, with how birth culture, you know, and, and, and culture, how the patriarchal model tells women reframe, forget, press, you know, suppress, um, focus elsewhere, et cetera, but that is not healing. And so mm -hmm. the, the path to healing is often, um, quite, quite painful to look at and yes. sit with, but, um, on the other side, you know, and, and you could speak to this particularly with birth trauma more than I can, but on the other side is a level of freedom and acceptance, um, you know, that you, you have to go through the murky waters to get there. Totally. Yeah. And you know, the one piece that I always had that I, to this puzzle that I, I don't know that everybody comes to is that like, I knew right away, like what had happened to me. Like I called it what it was. I called it trauma. I called it abuse. And I even called it rape because honestly, parts of that birth felt like rape. And in being able to actually say, speak truthfully and use words that have meaning about what actually happened to me and my son, you know, as opposed to saying, well, this had to happen to save the baby or, you know, something was wrong and thank God for modern medicine. And um, because I was able to actually call it what it was, that really was the first step to actually being able to heal it. You know, if mm -hmm. you can't, if you can't, if you can't say what it is and recognize it, then you can't heal it. And I think it's important to just insert here for anyone listening that if you had a transfer or an induction that ended in an emergency C-section, we are not saying that your experience was also these same words. Um, mm -hmm. You know, trauma yeah. does not necessarily psychologically manifest in every C-section. You know, I think that mm -hmm. I think that the obstetrical model is inherently violent and it and is inherently traumatic to the body. Mm -hmm. But but we're not trying to to say that you know every single woman is experiencing birth rape psychologically. Um, I think there mm -hmm. is a platform to have that conversation that you know it, it, the the mass internal exams and instruments that are almost always done without full consent. You know, and then there's a deeper question of can we even really consent in a paradigm of authority and. Um, you know, when it's not like, you know, we could go down a whole nother path with this, but, um, yeah. you know, these are big words and these are, this is a really, really deep talk topic. And, um, you know, as we mentioned before we were recording that, um, so many women come to 
birthing outside the system because they were first violated by the system. And so this mm-hmm. is a very heavy and, and rampant, you know, topic and not everybody um, has come to terms yet with their trauma. And what I guess I originally wanted to say was not everyone experienced their, for their hospital birth as trauma. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know, take, take that for what it is. I just wanted to make sure we kind of made that disclaimer that we're not saying that everybody who has this similar tale, um, experienced it as such, but rather if you did experience it as, as such, this episode is an offering to you as permission to stand in your story today, as you listen to this and permission to fully embrace the trauma that perhaps hasn't been validated for you. Um, and we're, we're doing that today virtually as a, as a global circle to, to hear Diana's story and to know how painfully common it is and how often it is not validated to be the birth rape or the stolen experience um, that, that Diana experienced it as and that many, many, many women we work with do. Yeah, thank you for that disclaimer. You're absolutely right. Um, there's a really great book called How to Heal a Bad Birth. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, it's it's kind of geared towards people that are in the in in birth work, working with women who've experienced birth trauma. And one of the things that that is talked about a lot in that book is that the actual outcome of the birth, like meaning like a C-section versus a vaginal birth, tends to have less of an impact on. Um, if, if it's perceived as traumatic or not, what, what really makes women feel traumatized during the birth process has to do with things like consent and having agency in the decision-making that's happening. So, so yes, that's, I'm not trying to say that all C-sections are traumatic, of course, but well, I think they really are more... physically. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Surgery is traumatic. Like to be put under general, if that was what happened, you know, for some C-sections and it, it's certainly traumatic for a baby. Like yeah. And and it can also be life-saving. And this is where everyone gets all up in arms about it. You know, it, yes, mm-hmm. yes, of course, no one would argue that on a rare occasion, a surgical birth will save the life of a baby. Um, and that is a freaking traumatic way to be born. Is it worth it for life-saving? Of course, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, even, even that trauma has become this like buzzword that, um, you know, and, and really just to be point blank, the, the, the women, it's rarely men, the women that, um, fight our message around this stuff, Mm -hmm. they have the most trauma. Yeah. And, and that it's sad. It's sad. And I don't know if those people would, would listen to this episode today and that's okay. Um, you know, and, but point being, our job is not to say who has trauma and who doesn't. Our point is to say that, um, this is a, this is a common story and and we're going to unpack it today. We're going to unpack what it, what it means to acknowledge to yourself and to perhaps your community, um, that you have trauma for your birth, that what happened for you doesn't feel normal or okay, if that is true for you. Um, and that's where I want to steer back to you, Diana. The other part that I thought was interesting or powerful that, that you were just pointing to is that you said you knew that what happened wasn't normal or okay, um, or, or necessary. And so Mm -hmm. I'm wondering when that happened for you, was it always happening? Like as the cascade of interventions was unfolding, did you, did you know that this wasn't right or was it afterwards? When did it, did it hit you like a train at one point or was it just like obvious, but you couldn't do anything to stop it the whole time? It was obvious, but I couldn't do anything to stop it. And when I was at the hospital, I was in pure survival mode. Yeah. Just pure survival mode. I I had no autonomy at all. Things were being done to me. You know, once I had the epidural, I couldn't even move. Yeah. Um, my doula had no power. My husband couldn't yeah. do anything. Um, I was just had to survive it. I, I knew as it was happening that um, it was awful, but I just had to survive it. And, and, and it, then it was really in the postpartum period that I experienced the waves of just, you know, grief and anxiety and depression. And, um, you know, I think anyone would have diagnosed me with having postpartum depression, but it wasn't that it was just PTSD and, and grief from this experience. So that's when I felt it. When I was in the hospital, I was just have to survive this. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, being assaulted. 
right? Yeah. It's being assaulted. Yeah. And, and what's crazy is that it's the system that's assaulting you. So what happened to you, I mean, I wasn't there, but just from the overview of the story you've, you've shared, um, it's pretty average. A lot of women mm-hmm. hold this story, um, particularly home birth transfers. It's, it's almost understood that if it doesn't mm-hmm. quote unquote work out at home, um, you're going to the hospital for the cascade of interventions that may or may not end in a surgical birth. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, and we also know, let's say induction. So artificially induced labors in the hospital have a 50% chance, 50% chance of ending in a surgical delivery. So, mm-hmm. um, this cascade of interventions, you know, that, that we talk about is it's an epidural, it's the Pitocin. It might be a ROM rupturing your membranes. Um, and the baby, we don't know how the baby's going to do with that Pitocin. That's, we don't know how the baby's going to do with the lack of oxygen, with the intense um, contractions that are not physiologically giving baby this um, break and all this mm-hmm. replenishing, you know, um, oxygen in between. It's, it's running, it's really running a freight train through that uterus. And so um, it's very common that babies don't do well. And then we also know that with continuous monitoring, when it was introduced in the late 80s, that all continuous monitoring has done is it increased C-sections. It has not increased outcomes. It has not improved outcomes. So that's important to understand because if you're birthing in captivity, um, the first time you accept an intervention, you kind of have to be or maybe should be on continuous monitoring because you're fucking with the sequence, with the physiological sequence. Um, it's no longer even remotely a physiological birth experience if you've accepted an intervention, even if it's um, IV fluids, you know, because that's going to dilute your hormones, right. that's going to mm-hmm. um, potentially could cause perennial swelling, I mean, all sorts of stuff. And so automatically now the baby is out of, um, what's the right word? It's out of flow with the, with the mom and the hormones. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And, and getting out of that normal physiological hormonal flow takes away, you know, a a large part of why birth is safe. You know, you're like making it less safe when you do that. Exactly. And so it's a tricky, it's a tricky topic because, um, you know, I mean, it just, it's so big. It's like this huge wheel because why are so many transfer, transfers happening? Well, many of them are happening on the rules and regulations of the midwife or the nervousness of the midwife. We also have to remember yeah. that with licensed midwives and actually with unlicensed midwives, their reputation is on the line every time they do or do not transfer. And perhaps right. not even their reputation, but their actual license, relationships with the hospital, um, and perhaps their relationship with the law. And so transfers are a really, really, really big deal. And, and, uh, it just, it gets so complicated because now we're also dealing with not just the birthing woman situation, but the midwife situation. And so she, you know, may have a relationship with the OB and there is a point where it would be inappropriate to bring the woman in. You know, she doesn't want to be bringing in train wrecks every week. She wants to be bringing in, um, you know, not train wrecks. She wants to be bringing in, you know, somebody who can still, uh, where it's not going to be a chaotic situation. Right. I'm not articulating this very well, but point being that there's in transfers, we uh, unfortunately, but just realistically, we also have to consider what's going on with the midwife and her dynamic in the community. Um, Mm -hmm. meaning that perhaps there are many more transfers happening than should be, or, or, or otherwise, you know, could have worked out at home. Um, Mm -hmm. So then once we're at the hospital, we're there to use interventions, but mm-hmm. now we're opening up a whole can of worms and we just don't know how it's going to go. But the system is based around intervening. So there's no mm-hmm. normal births happening at the hospital. Yes, someone may mm-hmm. come in and not get an epidural and have a baby quick enough. Um, yes, of course, that happens. Um, but the vast, vast majority of women, whether they know it or not, are going to be highly disrupted. And like Diana just said, once you're disrupted, it actually becomes dangerous, whether it's to the baby or to your third stage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, postpartum hemorrhaging is very common in captivity, but you know they have the IM pit and they have they have all the things to, you know, stop a hemorrhage or even oh, even if it gets out of hand, we can do a blood transfusion. And so it's it's really not a 
cared for very much. It's not really in this idea of prevention. We're actually not seeing emergencies really be that prevented. We're just seeing a mm-hmm. shit ton of surgery. Yeah. Anyway, so that whole, you know, that whole rambling was to say that we have a, we have a, a entire culture of trauma and of disruption, which you could argue physiologically that strong disruption and taking away or stealing normal birth. How could that not be traumatic? And so I guess that, right. I guess where I want to go with this is what, what do you feel about? Cause I know you work with women who have birth trauma as well. What mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like how we can dive into the resistance of accepting or acknowledging that they have trauma. Um, and like you said, I don't think we were recording yet, but like you said that you never had the option to hide behind, oh, they saved my baby or, oh, this was necessary. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. Um, it is exquisitely painful to have to admit to yourself that something traumatic and awful happened to you that didn't need to happen. It's really hard to, to, to really let that sink in and really know it. Um, and there, there's a very natural human thing that we do when something traumatic or scary or bad happens to us where, especially as women, we'll tend to think, well, I must have deserved that or I must have asked for it. Um, that's just a really common human thing that we do, you know, I, and, I, and I think it's to protect us. And, you know, I, especially as mothers, <clears throat> we have this incredible drive to do, we do anything to protect our children, right? And if you had to really sit with the thought that a choice that I made or my birth circumstances, which whatever it was, actually could have hurt my child or did hurt my child, that is exquisitely painful. So of course there's resistance around this. Of course. Um, for some reason, I didn't have it. I don't really know why. I just always knew um, that what happened in, in our birth was not right and that it hurt myself and my son. But I totally understand why someone wouldn't really be able to name that in their own experience. I really do. And I, and I, I, res- I you know, would never say to someone, you've had, wow, you had a failed induction, epidural C-section, that was a traumatic birth. You know, I would never say that to someone or who didn't that feel totally that way. Didn't, that totally didn't need to happen. Oh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, but I, but it frankly just makes perfect sense right. that we wouldn't always recognize it. And then the other thing, too, is that, like, this is our culture, right? It is odd for me for when I tell people that I had a baby at home in my bedroom after a C-section, people look at me like I'm insane. How could you do that? That's so unsafe. So this is our culture and this is going back, you know, 60 years ago, our grandparents were giving birth under twilight sleep and they were given a drug that made them just completely forget their, what happened to them. Less than that. And I mean, that was still happening in the seventies. It was happening in the seventies. Totally. Wow. I mean, my, my grandma's generation who was birthing in the fifties were under ether, just straight up ether. Wow. And then Twilight went, it, it was also around them, but it went through the 60s and the 70s. So, wow. Yeah, I mean, and actually it's still used today, by the way. Twilight sleep is not gone. That is still used in C sections. Um, wow. But it's not called that, and, and it's used for abortions, um, which is a different situation, um, you know, because the women are, are consenting in a different way. Um, right. But yeah, it's, it's a, Exactly. So we, we come from just two generations ago of women, um, very, very commonly unconscious. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, I, I mentioned that because this actually gets back to the beginning of our conversation where we stated that in order to heal something, you have to be able to look at it and see it. Right. And if there are, we have generations of women in our culture who literally couldn't look at or see their births. Like they don't remember right. them. They were right. knocked out. And, um, I really see this as a collective wound, a collective female wound that we're all kind of swimming in right now. Um, And even if you didn't have a traumatic birth and even if, you know, you don't have a story or a charge around this topic, just by virtue of being women in our culture, and you and I are in the U.S., so I'm speaking about the United States, um, this is 
part of part of our collective. This is something that we're all dealing with. And I think that part of the reason I'm so passionate about talking about this topic and I want to talk to you about it is because I'm seeing our generation starting to really look at this and starting to really take back some of um, our agency and our power around childbirth. And I believe that it's really important healing work. That's not just about this generation, but it's actually going back to our grandmothers too. Totally. And I, and we can't talk about this without acknowledging rape culture, you mm-hmm. know, because it's really, it's all a part of that. That rape culture is really the umbrella that all of this is happening under. Um, you yeah. know, the reframing, the, um, you know, not, I mean, what, it's like a, a two or 3% conviction rate of, of, mm-hmm. rape, you know, I mean, yeah. and, and it's even less than that of obstetric violence. So, you know, this is, we have to call it what it is. And, um, you know, even, even in, so in rape culture, like when I was, you know, 10 years ago, my friends and I didn't sit around talking about consent. Consent wasn't a thing mm-hmm. that was, um, like in our zeitgeist or whatever. And now I can't hang out with people without talking about it. And that's just not me. That's not just me because of the work I'm in. That is, that is the women that I know today who are actively, I mean, and obviously look in media, like the Harvey Weinstein thing. And, um, you know, so many stuff is coming out in, in media that consent is finally becoming a real topic. And so there's, there's, I would say there's really no difference when we're talking about the obstetrical rape and violence that women are regularly and routinely experiencing, some of which are knowing that that's what it is. Others, um, you know, and it perpetuates itself because as women, most of us are, have been, you know, we have been raised and been violated or assaulted or raped in some way, shape or form. And so then for mm-hmm. it to be re-perpetuated through our birth stories, um, it's deep, man. It's really... Um, there's an acceptance in it or an expectation in it or not being surprised by it um, where it gets really heady. And so to pull way, way, way back, and I just want to say to anyone listening, you should not have a vaginal exam if you're not into that vaginal exam. I would call that birth rape. To have fingers inside of you or instruments inside of you, whether it's during your birth, whether it's during your pap smear, whether it's during um, a party or you know, in your bed, if something is going inside of your body without you fully consenting to it and welcoming it, then that is a violation, that is assault. And so what's changing in our generation is we're starting to name what it is. You know, which is um, exactly painfully exciting, you know, because hopefully in our children's generation, you know, Diana has two sons. I have a little daughter um, that consent is talked about from the very beginning and that um, there is no confusion um, when my daughter is a little tipsy at a party, you know, that that perhaps Diana's sons understand, you know, at this point how to protect a girl who's a little drunk, Um you know, I mean, I talk about it with my husband all the time that, you know, I have male friends now who will acknowledge, oh my God, I really didn't get full consent. I have been, mm-hmm. I have had sex with plenty of girls that, yeah, I think I did actually kind of push her and she kind of wasn't that into it, but I kind of didn't really care because I'm an entitled white guy that takes what's mine, you know, and there's a lot of bravery and, and men willing to, um, look at that and start to talk about it, um, Anyway, yeah. So, so yeah, we, I don't think we can talk about this without really going to the to the bigger umbrella of of what rape culture is today and how it manifests everywhere. Oh, well, absolutely. And I'd even take it a step further and say, um, I can think of no better way to enslave women than to take away their power when we're doing the most powerful transformative thing we will ever do, which is give birth. Like there's no better way to do it. If I were to design a way Mm -hmm. to perpetuate patriarchy and rape culture, I would hurt women during childbirth. I'd tell them to be afraid of it. I'd tell them it's scary and painful. I'd tell them they need drugs. I'd tell them they need an authority to do it. I mean, it's mind blowing. Yeah, they can't do it. Yeah. It's, it's actually brilliant. Yeah, it really is. I know. I just said this in another, another podcast. It really is. It really is genius, the strategic and systematic 
dismantling of feminine power and it has been so successful for so long that the fact that you and I chose to birth at home on our own terms is considered not only radical but irresponsible is is really amazing you know it really is amazing that the women we work with and the women we love and know in the free birth community are routinely disrespected and condescended and um, and sometimes exiled of their communities or even their families for the choices that that they make because they want to um, increase their authority or claim their personal decisions about their body. Because let's be real, this is not a society that trusts women or that grants women permission um, of their own reproductive health, of um, even of, of their own parenting styles at, at times. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, I mean, this whole thing just runs... It runs so deep and you're totally right. I mean, let's just call it what it is. This is the most intelligent and effective way to keep women not feeling powerful. I mean, also just to take it there, women can't even bring themselves to say they're fucking powerful. Like, do you, did you see how much pushback I got when I posted on Facebook? Can we stop saying empowered? Men don't say yeah. empowered. Why can't women say, I feel powerful. I birthed powerfully. I, I wake up feeling powerful. I feel powerful in my relationship. And I wrote this whole thing and I cannot tell you how many people, women commented back. Oh, I'm not comfortable with the word powerful. Um, you know, that men, then, you know, it makes me think of, of a, of a real, like, what did they say? Like a real opinionated asshole, you know, like all of these interesting, yeah, it was really interesting to see how much pushback I got to me saying, I feel powerful because we have to go a step down. We have to say my birth was empowering because it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a, a temporary state right? Because if you're empowered, then that means you're disempowered. It goes back and forth. You're empowered in this moment or being around her makes me feel empowered or she empowers me. But then you go right back to your normal, natural, feminine, you know, stupid little tiny space of not being empowered. But when you feel powerful, that shit is unshakable. Yeah. And there's no more perfectly designed way to really feel your own specific feminine power than to give birth. I mean, it's incredible. Um, we've just been given this incredible birthright as women to be able to do this. And I mean, I actually had a question for you. I hope we're not straying too far off, off of the topic. Um, I think it's all related, but you know, I see that very clearly, um, what's being taken away from women when they're birthing in captivity. You see it very clearly. Um, I'm wondering, why do you think more people don't see this. Why, why do you think so many of us want to give birth in hospitals with drugs and not experience birth for what it really is? Well, I think you already said it. I think that we have generations upon generations, and then we also have thousands and thousands of years of very intentionally treating women less than and um, having no honor for their bodies, no education for their bodies. So the vast majority of women are, first of all, growing up with traumatic birth stories themselves, right? Mm, uh, my, yeah. my mom's yeah. tailbone broke in labor or my mom needed to be put out or I needed, I was an emergency C-section and men are too. This is not specific to women. You know, people yeah. are growing up with um, largely uh, traumatic birth stories and hearing them. And so that's, you know, that's, that's a huge, huge piece that is not a small thing to overcome. Um, because as you know, you, as you know, whatever is normalized for us in, as kids is what we do as adults. It becomes real for us as adults unless we very intentionally reprogram that. And so the normal imprinting pattern is whatever happened to us as kids and was said to us and was created for us, that is how we live unless otherwise rearranged. Um, And then I think also we already spoke to it, to acknowledge the issue means you have to do something about it. And so when you acknowledge what is happening in the hospitals, you have to make a choice. You have to, you can't just turn a blind eye. I mean, you could, but I feel like you either have to deny it or you have to embrace it and then do something different. And so, you know, obviously we're connected to a lot of women who are doing that, who are saying no way. And I will, I will exit that system with whatever cost it takes, whether I don't have my husband's support or, um, you know, people judge me or I lose friends on Facebook or whatever. Um, 
But it's a big question, right? Because it's a huge ask to socially um, hear these trauma stories and not feed into the drama of those stories, which are all in a way proving that birth is dangerous, that women are broken, that we need obstetrics. I mean, we see it in our group, you know, women post all the time. I don't want to go back to the hospital, but in my last birth, I almost died from bleeding out. Okay. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Holy shit, girl, we got to unpack your story, you know, because it is extremely unlikely that that is going to happen in an undisturbed birth. It actually doesn't really make any sense. Um, but yeah. it makes a lot of sense when you have 15 people in the room and you've been feeling extremely unsafe and you're on drugs and you're numb on your back. Um, and the, the baby is pulled and cut from you. And, um, you know, I mean, hemorrhage in a C-section is incredibly common and extremely yeah. dangerous. Um, and of often, course, yeah. you know, I mean, as a doula, I've seen quite a bit of hemorrhages during a C-section and then that was never relayed to the mom. So she didn't mm-hmm. even know that she had a hemorrhage and that the whole team was freaking out while she was put under. I mean, I've seen C-sections where they, I was watching from the door because they wouldn't let me in and something was feeling fishy. And all of a sudden I see them put a mask over the mom and knock her out, you know? Wow. And so, I mean, I've seen that more than a couple times. And so you know, it's, it's full rain. Once you're in there, you don't, there's no like, is this okay with you? Um, anyway, so, I mean, back to the original question, why is this happening? Why aren't we naming it? I think that, um, we are, you know, we look at what, look at what's happened in the last year. I mean, even that this podcast has as many downloads as it has and that, um, you know, we, we can't shut up about this and that our group is growing every day. Yes. It's small potatoes to the global population, but, women are regularly reaching out to the lighthouses who are holding this space like you and me and and many other women that we know and saying, this happened to me and I need to tell you my story. And so, you know, for anyone listening, like that's how I think of it. And that's how, that's who I want you to be. That is my ask of you. If you are listening to this is be a lighthouse in your community that says, I will listen to your story. I will hold your story and I will not reframe it. I will not say at least you have a healthy baby or, um, you know, you can just try for a VBAC next time. I will hold your story and look at you and cry with you and say, I am so fucking sorry that was taken from you. And we have to do that for each other because more women will hold this. More women will come. More women will share their stories if they know that they're going to be heard. It's the same Absolutely. thing with sexual assault, you know? It's the same yep. thing with, with, with everything that we're talking about. You know, they have to, women have to know where they can be heard and held. Um, and, and it makes, these stories make people so uncomfortable that they right. keep it in or they reframe or they refocus. And there's nowhere for them to like off charge these feelings. Um, so let's actually, let's get back to your, your story and your, um, your journey of healing um, because, you know, it's something that I'm hoping people can, who are feeling similar and who are starting to acknowledge their trauma. Um, and perhaps there is a little whisper inside of you, you know, if you're listening to this, that maybe what happened to you wasn't right. And maybe, um, maybe that hasn't been normalized for you. And maybe someone hasn't listened to your tale yet. And maybe you are resonating with some of what we're saying today. So Diana, take us to, you know, anything in your postpartum that started, your path of healing? What did that look like for you personally? Well, the first thing that I had to do was I had to find people in my life that that were safe people that I could talk about my experience with. Um, People who would not say exactly what you just said. Well, at least you have a healthy baby. Oh, well, next time you can try for a VBAC. Like I needed to tell my story to people that would really hear me and And, um, I did it over and over and over again. And, um, that was really the first thing that needed to happen. Like I said, I, I already could look at it clearly and see this, this was shitty. This was terrible. Then I needed to talk about it. So, and I would say to any of your listeners, um, that can be hard to find, you know, especially if you're maybe, um, listening to this and you're in more of a conservative community, um, Maybe you don't have anyone who's not, you know, totally hooked into the mainstream medical model that would hear you. Um, 
And so to that, I want to say online communities can be so great for this. Um, you know, Free Birth Society, obviously, I'm I'm a moderator on that Facebook group. And anybody who's listening to this who's had a challenging birth and wants to go to a place uh, online where, you know, we will hear you and honor your story and not tell you, well, at least you had a healthy baby. That's one place that you can go. Um, so that was really helpful to me beginning to heal was talking to safe people in my life. And I also reached out to online communities um, of women that totally got it. Um, ICANN was another really great resource for mm -hmm. me because I think that ICANN can vary um, region to region, but where I live, um, there, the Seattle ICANN group is extremely supportive, very just great. You know, you can go there and talk about having a traumatic C-section. Everybody totally gets it. And everyone's just going to not say, well, next time or you have a healthy baby, they'll just totally get it. And so that, that was really, really helpful for me. Um, after the second year of my son's life, well, I should back up and say, I wasn't really committed to healing, to be honest with you. I, I kind of felt like I can't ever look at birth again mm -hmm. after that experience. It was because it was so spiritually shattering to yeah. me. It was like my whole worldview just got shattered and I couldn't look at it again. I never thought I would have another child. Mm. I had zero interest in like going to counseling or doing any other sort of trauma work because I just couldn't. I couldn't look at it. It was like there was this box in my heart that I couldn't look at. Yeah. And, um, of course, the universe threw my way a surprise pregnancy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> when I was just two. Um, wow. despite, yeah, despite our, our efforts to not conceive, we did. And um, that was really just the, the impetus for me to get real serious about my healing real yeah. quick. Because... Um, I, I knew that I, I knew that I had to just really look at the trauma of my first birth and do everything that I could to heal it. And the other thing too, is that I knew that I couldn't look at my second child as a means to an end to heal. You know what I'm saying? Like I couldn't put this on him. Like I'm pregnant with another baby. I have to have a great birth this time because it has to heal me. Cause that isn't his Which a lot of women do. And I don't, yeah. I don't know yeah. how I feel about it because I've seen it really work in a way, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, and then the, the sad part is on the other hand, women who are done having babies have this last traumatic birth and they say things like, I feel like if I could just like do one more, I could correct yeah. it. But I, I, you know, I, I say this very gently, but that's a little bit of bypass because it is, you know, yeah. one, yes, yes, yes. With VBACs. Oh my God. The biggest thing in the world is to be able to say, I knew I could do it. This was taken from me. And now in a way I've like proved to myself that a, birth, a baby can come out of my vagina. Like that's real. That is a real thing that many, many women, um, need and experience, you know, but, but not everybody gets that opportunity. And so I think it's important to point out like that, that second birth or next birth, like you said, can't, can't be all that there is because it yes. might, it, it could also set yourself up, um, for the realization that, you still have healing to do. Right. And also I would argue that, that it's not actually true healing to feel like you're healed if you only have one type of an outcome. You know, true healing is getting to a place where you're you're healed from the experience that you had with no stipulations yeah. or no, you know, conditions upon it. And that's how I looked at the second birth. I was like, no matter what happens, I have to be okay. If another C-section happens, I'm going to have two children and a husband that are going to need me mm. to not fall apart. I'm going to need to be okay. My kids need me. And, um, so I really, and I also, I, I never ever want to say that my second birth healed me because exactly because of why you said not everybody gets that opportunity and children, I don't think you should ever have a pregnancy for that reason. You know, that's not why it's not a good reason to, to have another pregnancy or go into another birth. But um, so getting back to what I was saying, uh, uh, my second pregnancy really lit a fire under me to really do the work to really heal with no conditions upon however my second birth turned out. Um, I did a lot of different things. And I think that 
how a person heals from trauma probably depends person to person. There's so many different wonderful modalities out there. Um, I think that any time of any type of physical or energetic healing that you're drawn to is really important in healing trauma in the body because birth trauma is stored in our bodies for sure. It's in our psyches and our spirits, but it's also in our bodies. So I did a lot of things like um, I, I, I started going to a, a hypnotist who specifically works with birth trauma. So we would um, go into hypnosis and like rebirth my first birth, which was a really interesting experience um, and work on releasing the trauma that was in my body from my first birth. Um, I did some work um, it, like some kind of woo woo <laughs> work where I like, I worked with a, with a medium, a, a, a psychic medium who um, did like some energetic clearing from my system, um, from my first birth. And this is all stuff that really resonated with me personally. I know like that doesn't really resonate with everybody. For me, um, I, I felt like that's what I needed to really heal this very primal wound that and, was and in my body. And even I think just being open-minded around it and just trying stuff and creating the possibility for for it to clear or heal or, um, move through you, you know, that's where, that's where I think those kind of more, um, hippy dippy modalities are really cool because whether you're like totally on board or not or whatever, just creating the possibility for shift, you know, and sometimes you have to get kind of outside of your comfort zone because as we all probably know, if you're just trying to do it in your head, and this is why talk therapy is not very, um, uh, efficient or or productive, you know, because if you're Mm -hmm. just running around in the same circus of your own head, yes, it can feel amazing to vent and process and cry and be heard and all of that. So important. But, but then what, you know, how do we actually get the energy to move in your whole body, not just your mind? And so, yeah, speaking to it, you know, storing in your body. I think sometimes with those other modalities that might feel a little awkward or questionable or improvable or any of those things, it's, it's kind of um, important to step out of your comfort zone and just try stuff with an open mind and an open heart because that is where stuff can start to move and shift. Absolutely. It did for me. It, 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 it was really helpful for me. Um, and I wanted to say, too, about therapy, I think that especially for moms that are dealing with birth trauma – I just don't feel like therapy is maybe the, I think that we could all benefit from it. Probably I could probably have benefited from it that first year or so after my son's birth, but it's kind of not accessible for most new moms. I mean, I don't know about you, but like there's absolutely no, there were days that I didn't shower. Totally. You know, you know what I mean? Unless it's specifically a postpartum, you know, I would even say female, you know, therapist, um, you know, I mean, there's lots of great therapists out there, but there's not a ton that are specializing in the postpartum period or birth trauma. And so unfortunately it's kind of, you know, just going to any old therapist, well, what could they really provide for you? I guess they could just listen and reflect and hold, which if you don't have that in your life, you know, you could do it on Skype from your house while your baby slept on your breast. You know, you could do that if you are boiling over in your home and have nowhere to turn. Um, you know, yes, you still have to, you know, try to do something. And if not with somebody else, then journal, you know, if you can't find or afford anybody to hold space with you, hold it for yourself, which is not easy. I'm not acting like that's an easy thing to force yourself to pull that, you know, laptop out or pen and, and paper out. But there are ways, there are simple and free ways to just get the energy moving. And journaling is the most simple it's, it's literally available to everybody who knows how to read and write. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, and that doesn't take anything other than a little bit of dedicated time. Um, and so that is, or, or even like you could go on a walk and just say your story out loud, you know, you could just say it and nobody has to hear you. Um, another trick I heard was one mom, um, who was very, felt very isolated. She recorded her story on a voice memo on her phone and then she listened to it. Wow. And I thought that was really cool, you know, because I love that. isn't that cool? Because it is a way to hold yeah. space for yourself or you could journal. And if there was one person you wanted to read it. Um, also, while we're here, let me just say 
you can send me or Diana your story. We will always read your story and hold it and not share it um, unless that was something you wanted. But um, we are absolutely individually and as Free Birth Society, you know, very willing to listen and read. And, And actually Yolanda and I both offer debriefing Skype sessions where we just get on Skype and you just tell us your birth story and we help you unpack it. We fill in the blanks. There's going to be questions. Um, you know, not that we know the details of your birth, but we understand the system in which you birthed very, very well. And so, um, a, a birth debrief, and I'm sure we're not the only people that do that. So a birth debrief, um, could also be massively helpful to normalize, um, and understand, um, yeah, what happened to you. That's so amazing. I wish that I had known about that five and a half years ago. That would have been just massive in my healing to like get on the phone with someone who really gets it and share my story. That would have been huge. Definitely. And I keep, so I do, I am curious to, and I know he's not here to give his side of it, but I'm thinking about your husband and I'm thinking about, um, what it was like for him to witness your experience and then be with you in your postpartum experience, however he was. Um, and then this surprise pregnancy and, and then his own preparation and, um, and then to witness you have a wild ecstatic birth in your bed with your second baby, um, without him physically being here to speak for himself. I'm just, can you speak to his process a little bit with this? Yeah, I can. Um, I would say that he was almost as traumatized as I was from my first son's birth. And um, I noticed that for him, it manifested more as rage. Like Mm -hmm. he, he was furious. He was so angry. He wanted to get everyone at the hospital fired. He, he, he was just rageful, so angry. And he's really not an angry person. He's a really sweet, gentle guy. Um, but I, I think that even to this day, he has a lot of anger about that particular hospital. It's a, you know, a local community hospital that we sometimes drive by and see. And I, mm. he's, he's, he was angry, really angry. Um, just like me, there was no part of him that felt like we were saved by that mm-hmm. experience or that it needed to happen. He felt extremely violated by it too, but also helpless. Yeah. You know, there was nothing he could do, just nothing. Um, and then in the postpartum period, you know, I was grieving. He was angry. Mm-hmm. That's really what that looked like. So it was a really challenging couple of years for us. Were you doing that as allies or polarized or a mixture? mostly as allies, mostly as allies. We would, we would talk about it a lot. I'm really grateful that he's someone that I could just talk about the birth a lot. I'd cry a lot to him and he would express his anger, his fury. Um, so we, we definitely didn't butt heads, but we processed the experience in different ways together pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm given that, that we had a very different experience after the birth with, you know, how we, how we dealt with all those emotions. So did he um, blink an eye when you were like, I'm obviously be backing at home or was he like, yeah, of course we're not going back there. What was he, he was like, yeah, of course there's okay. no way. Because, you know, <laughs> as you know, so many men who've witnessed yeah. the trauma of their, their partner's birth, um, and this happens with women too, but, but we're going to just stay on topic of, of partners right now that so many get very twisted and confused with the total lack of education and support around their experience and understanding what went down. I mean, they're most likely not joining virtual circles and, you know, talking to other men, you know, unfortunately because of the society we live in, there's just not, there's often, not always, but often there is not um, much available for a male who has experienced secondary trauma of his partner's birth. And so then when the woman says, I'm not going back there or I can't, I can't bear to think of that again. Very often the man says, are you kidding? You almost died. Like we can't, we can't not. The Stockholm syndrome that people get locked into when they have a, and particularly partners, I think when they have a traumatic experience at the hospital, but then there's like this narrative that like, Oh, you know, whatever we have to be there the next time. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly thinking of this one. I mean, this happens all the time, but when I was a doula, I was a, a woman hired me, a woman and a man hired me for a VBAC birth. And she was going right back to the same hospital and the same group of midwives. And yeah. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And they were like, yeah. oh, no, they, yeah, well, they support VBACs. And, and every time I met with them, they were very uh, aware of the trauma that they had. And honestly, I would say the partner might have even been more traumatized. And it just, it was so bizarre to me. And that's not the only client I had that did that. But I'll never forget it because it was so obvious. And I, and I flat out said, why are you going back to the place that, that ruined your birth? What are you doing? And, you know, it's, oh, insurance or, oh, whatever. They said this, that, blah, blah, blah. It's just, um, it's weird, honestly. It's weird and it's sad. And I don't, I don't entirely get it. But Stockholm Syndrome is the best example or the best kind of, like, thing that we're familiar with that, that I could relate it to. You know, returning, you know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. And um, to return to the place of, of trauma or your C-section uh, at the same hands of the same people and think that you're going to have a different experience. Yes, you might have a VBAC. That woman did have a vaginal birth um, with an unconsenting episiotomy and um, a lot of violence. Um, wow. You know, so like at what cost? Like, okay, a VBAC's not all we're after, people. You know, like, Wait. well, yeah, I mean, um, for particularly for VBAC moms, um, a lot of us like just don't have any choice because I know where I live, it was hospital or free birth, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's true of many parts in this country because licensed midwives, depending on where you live, many of them aren't um, allowed under the, the stipulations of their license to attend women at home who've had surgical births. So or if you they have to be two years difference, like in California, they need to have been 24 months apart. Um, oh. so, I mean, yeah. what if you have back-to-back -back pregnancies? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, when I look at that, I just think that some people just think that they don't have any other choice. Yeah. I mean, I know that like before with my second birth, before I realized I had to do this outside of the system completely, I was petrified because I really kind of did think for a minute that I had to go back to the hospital because I knew, right. I knew what the laws were in the state where I live. Yeah. And that was terrifying. Oh, that was God. just petrifying. Yeah. And I have absolutely no doubt in my mind, Emily, that had I gone to, had I birthed my second baby in a hospital, any hospital, I know I would have had another C-section. I know I would have. Because there's no way that I would have been able to open up and do the work of birth in a place that treated me like a higher risk patient, mm -hmm. uh, that I wouldn't be able to relax. I wouldn't, I just know that it, it would have gone that way. I can't believe any vaginal births happen in captivity. Quite frankly, that, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. I'm actually shocked it, when it goes well. I'm and like, I, I don't same with same with my birth story. I mean, it's there's it is so unlikely, given the long the length of it, the meconium. Um, I mean, just the length, just the length alone. You know, you very very rarely hear of of a vaginal birth after forty hours. You know, fifty hours. Um, but then once there was mech. Yeah, I've, I, there's no way. There's no way yeah. I would have. Um, and, and what's kind of interesting is that so many of the free birth women in our community, they have been labeled high risk or they would have been labeled high risk. Um, but we already know. I mean, obstetrics is high risk. That's what they're skilled in. And therefore, that's how they view everybody. And so, exactly. you know, what OB says, you're a low risk, healthy woman that could totally birth outside of here. Of course not, because you are always potentially high risk. Yes. Right? Because and birth is high risk in, in the, in that model. And the entire model of prenatal care is looking for pathology, right? That's what it is. That's like literally all it's doing. So of course you're going to find something. So going back to trauma topic, I actually, if it's right before you and I got on the call here, I posted a little image I, I love um, today that says there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are mothers and there are babies. And mm. I love that. And it's powerful. You know, it's kind of stopped wow. me in my tracks when I, when I saw that going through whatever page I took it from. Um, that there are only two types of people. There are mothers and there are babies. And so um, 
gosh, you know, right? It just kind of is like, oh shit, there are there are only two types of people. There's mothers and then there's all the little boys and girls that are born um, from these mothers. And so all of the adults, you know, in our world, all of our partners, all of our fellow, um, all of our fellow women and men are all, or we're all just babies and then there's mothers. And so how are we treating them? And, um, and, and how are women and men being born and what stories are we growing up with? And it is, um, hundred percent unacceptable that the vast majority of people are being born out of violence in violence. Um, mothers are being traumatized, babies are being traumatized. Um, and then what's even more unacceptable is that we're not putting, we're not calling it what it is. Right? Yep. Which is, that's why we're having this conversation right now. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else you want to make sure we touch on? I think I just want to like address the woman that's listening to this, that had a traumatic birth and is like trying to figure out how to heal from it or is perhaps currently hurting from it. And I just really want to say to that person that's listening that you are so not alone and that you're not crazy. And that if you feel like you were traumatized by your birth or that maybe there were elements of it that was scary or traumatizing and other elements of it that were great, that, your feelings are totally valid and real and that there are so many of us that share your story and that want to hold you in love and support you. And I also want to say that healing is absolutely possible. Feeling whole, not feeling broken. Um, that's so possible to achieve after even, even a really, really shattering, horrible birth experience. Um, it can happen. You can heal from it. Yeah. Which we know also is not just happening in the hospital. You know, we talk with women all the time who have um, trauma experiences at the hands of their midwives. Or I just spoke with a woman yesterday who had a totally sabotaged free birth um, because of um, the multiple people that invited themselves into the birth. And so this is not, you know, never trying to paint this picture that free birth is this perfect utopian experience that nothing can ever go wrong. And then every birth in the hospital is totally traumatic. And of course that's not at all true. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, undeniably you increase your chances for a normal and powerful birth when you are undisturbed and when you only have people that you know and trust around you, um, and you are at home. Yes, those are true. Um, but trauma happens in all settings. And like you pointed to earlier, you know, and we don't need studies to prove this. It's obvious, but there have been studies that prove that it is about how the woman feels versus the outcome. And so, right. um, you know, it's, it's, I think, yeah, part of the naming it and the responsibility that comes with naming it is knowing that you then have to make a different choice. And what happens when, the person that traumatized you in your labor was your husband or the midwife who's already caught two of your babies um, and is the only midwife available in your town, you know, or it's the doctor who's been your OBGYN since you were 16. You know, there's some of these relationships run really deep that, that it's, it feels impossible to break away from them or to create a new dynamic. If you are to have another baby again, um, and you are going to have to do something different. That's just, mm-hmm. that's, that's the truth. You are going to have to do something different, maybe a different location, different team by yourself. Um, you know, we don't know you, you'll have to find those answers for yourself, obviously. But, um, you know, we, we really, I think our, the biggest point of this episode is to acknowledge how mass the trauma is and how common it is. And that if you are not being validated in your story, um, please reach out to us and we will listen to you and we will sit with you and we will hear you and we will help you come up with another plan. If you need one, if you are moving into another birth and need to clear out your previous birth. I mean, I've had women contact me who need to clear out their birth from 10 years ago, you know, or 15 years oh, ago, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, and you know, probably so many of you listening are already birth junkies. So you've had this experience. Like I can't go anywhere without somebody telling me their birth from the seventies. Oh, yeah. Like the last time I flew somebody, so older woman, old, quite old, like 80 something sat next to me. And she, I don't even think I told her I was in the birth world. And she I swear to God, she just started telling me her birth story and it was really messed up. And it was, um, 
so painful for her to tell. And, yeah. you know, how many 50 years later, um, you know, so yeah, it's just, there's, there's really no end to this conversation and it is ongoing and we will always talk about this in our, in our episodes to keep bringing it to light. But I really love that image of considering yourself and making yourself deciding that you are a lighthouse for other women to hold. If you feel ready for that, you know, if you feel able to hold a, a safe container without, you know, it totally bringing up all of your own trauma and stuff. But if you feel, um, able to do that for other women, or if you need that, um, please know that we, we can be those women for you. Absolutely. I love that. I love that image. That's so good. I think we, we basically touched on everything that I wanted to do. Okay. I think we had some good conversation. Cool. Okay. So we're going to leave it there. I hope that this touched you and, and, you know, helped give you a virtual hug or, or acknowledgement if, if you felt like you needed that today. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to, I just, I keep seeing this beautiful image of all these, you know, powerful women as these lighthouses that are safe for each other. And, um, it's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a broken record saying this, but the first step is if you are ready and willing to acknowledge that the system failed you, you did not fail you. You didn't know, you didn't know what the system had in store for you. And now that you know, you can make a different choice. And like Diana said, she didn't even know in the beginning that she could make a different choice. And, you know, I want that to be one of the biggest things we're driving home today is, you know, and that's, that's one of the beauties of free birth is, and it's not a simple thing to choose to free birth, but if you can't afford a midwife or if you can't find a midwife and you also can't afford to go back to the hospital, there are other options. You know, there really are. You could just stay home if that felt like the safest and most intuitive route for you. You can do that. And at Free Birth Society, we can try to help you find a doula or a birth attendant um, in your area. If, if there is one, we'd be happy to help pair you to somebody that we might know. Yes. Well, thank you so thanks, much. Thanks, Emily. Yeah, thanks for your time and your story and everything you represent. You really are this beacon of possibility, I think, for other women that you've really been there in a way that I haven't, you know, and you've, um, you've worked through it and you've done the hard work and, um, and you're willing to talk about it. And it's, gosh, it's just, it's so important. Thanks, Emily. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate all the work that you're doing too. It's so needed in this world right now. So thank you. Mwah. <laughs> that's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love. <laughs>